Cheryl Shaw, welcome to you. Lovely to see you. It's lovely to be here. Kimberly, uh, busy, busy week and we need to talk about something that's on everyone's mind if you're a pet owner at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk a little bit today about leptospirosis. Okay, we will do that next. And if you do have any questions uh, for Kimberly, you can give us a call 49216216. But we'll probably uh, go into and dispel some myths about it and just get some clarification around what this actually is. Sounds good. Sounds like a Hogwarts spell to me. But um... (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Susan in Maitland. What's uh, your question for Kimberly today? Oh, hello. Um, got a American Snappy, 12 months old, and he chews everything he can get his mouth around. Yep. So they're a very mouthy sort of breed and they have big, mm-hmm. big, strong jaws. And in addition to that, he's only just off being a puppy technically, right? 12 months of age. So that's yeah. going to be probably pretty normal behavior with the exception of they sometimes pick the wrong thing to chew. Um, is he destructive? Is he is he damaging your property? Yes, yes. he has. He chewed my uh, coffee table. Oh right, yes. Uh, lounge. Yeah. So he, yesterday he chewed um, the back door, the door that goes into the laundry. Yeah. Um, I put him. I put him in there because I had to go out for about half an hour. Yeah. Okay. And, and he I didn't like that. A, and he didn't like he's He's chewed the door frames mm. and he chewed the back of the door yesterday. Yeah. So some of them will have an underlying um, level of separation anxiety where their they're worry about you being away from them will yeah. cause them to start to chew and, and uncontrollably as a method of, you know, like coping and, and trying to, you know, escape to try to get to you. So that's a little bit of a different problem that you may need to speak to a behaviorist about or, or your veterinarian to see if we think that there's an underlying anxiety problem. Problem. For yeah. dogs who are normal, um, you know, mentally, then I would normal. Normal's not a good word, but who are typical, who don't have an underlying anxiety problem, then a dog at this age, we really need to make sure that our exercise levels are well up because he's at the age now where he's going to have a bit of stamina, but he also requires. Um, you know, a good effort to, to, you know, run out his energy. Um, They can be very intelligent. So giving him a job to do, making him, you know, don't let him eat out of a food bowl, make him work for his food so that it takes him longer. So he's got something to do to occupy his mind. And that actually, although it's not physically exertion, physical exertion, it can actually really help to calm them. So get some good quality, robust, um, you know, toys for him to eat out of The, the big Kongs, you know, Kong makes the big black ones for dogs that have really strong jaws and you can feed their regular food in that and make him, you know, make him do that if he's hopefully he's food motivated. Um, and then make sure he's got some really good, robust, appropriate, um, you know, things that he can chew. Um, if there's a level of anxiety underneath there, you know, sometimes crate training, these guys can be helpful so that you, um, you know, put him away when you're not going to be around, put him away somewhere where he's going to be safe and he's going to keep your home safe. Um, but some problems, I mean, chewing is a normal behavior for dogs of his age. So if it's uncontrollable and you feel like it's outside of the bounds of normal, then it may be very worthwhile trying to have a discussion with a, um, a veterinary behaviorist around it. Okay. Okay. But um, yeah. This one thing, like we've never, never had him in a crate. Yep. I really, you know, I've never had a dog like him before. It's not my dog, it's my son's yep. dog. My son lives with me. Yeah. But um, anyway, 
Is he too old now to be put in a crate? No, but you need to train them. You can't just lock them up at the first go and, um, you know, and expect them to to accept it. So um, I would look at the, go to the Fear Free Happy Homes website and have a look there for crate training. Um, They do have some good stuff about separation anxiety as well. Um, And they're a um, a great, you know, sort of resource for for owners like you. So I think it's definitely worthwhile um, having a look at that and working on some crate training. Yep. And thank you for the call, Susan. Let's go to Brad. Brad is in Brankston. Hi, Brad. You've got a question for Kimberly as well. Yeah, g'day, guys. Thanks, Kimberly, for taking my call. No I have a uh, five-year-old Labrador. Uh, rear claw of the dog has split right up into the foot. Yes. And I'm f- wondering whether over time, if trimming, whether that's going to heal and grow out or whether it has to be surgically removed. So that's the actual nail, is it? The, yeah, the, yeah, the hard yeah. nail. Um, yeah. yeah, listen, you know, nails in dogs are a bit like nails in us. You know, if you get a damage to a nail, if it if it damages the germinal epithelium where the nail bed is, then you can get some scarring there. And so sometimes the nail will continue to split. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Sometimes it's just a matter of letting the nail grow out. The problem we have with these is that they're often really, really painful. So if it's a new problem, then it's actually um, really painful for the dog. And if the nail is sort of hanging there a bit loose and if he's, you know, as he stands on it, the nail moves, that's really sore. So in those instances, it's actually worthwhile taking him into your vet. They might need to give him a bit of sedation um, and actually get that nail off of there. And then you're going to have a better chance of it um, growing back in normally. Because we tend to find that they lick and they chew at them and then they can give them themselves infections and stuff like that so um, although it's a relatively minor minor excuse me minor problem um, it's a big problem for the dog because it's quite um, you know it's quite painful it's a little bit like when you get a really a really painful hangnail um, yeah. and they you know they just irritate and irritate so yeah, yeah. no great thank okay. you for your help cheers thanks brad it's the show in the know about your pets it's pet chat hello russell you're in morpeth now your neighbor's dog has a has a flea or skin problem you're not sure which one yeah there's an old lady lives around the corner from me um and she's got this little doll she reckons it's a miniature foxy but it looks more like a miniature corgi i think his mother must have had loose morals but anyway <laughs> i had fleas a while back so i took it up the vet and they said, oh, you don't use the flea powder anymore. That's old-fashioned. And the old lady couldn't do it. And she said, we've got pills. And I said, that dog's not a good eater. It won't take pills. So they said, we've got this tube of liquid you squirt on the back of the neck like a cat. Yep. And that worked out good. That was a couple of weeks ago. And this, this dog needs a bath. It's got flea dirt. It's got bites. Bites from, you know, the, and it's been scratching itself and all that. I just wonder when I can wash it or will I wash that liquid off the back of the neck oh. now? No, so I assume if you got it from the vets, it'll be one of the really good newer generation products and they are a systemic product. So you put it on the back of the neck and it's absorbed in through the skin into the bloodstream. And so within three days, the dog can then have a bath. So, um, you know, as long as it's been three days and the and the dog's skin sort of dried after that stuff was put on it, you'll be fine to bath the dog now. And that would then that'll really help make it feel a lot better. So that's that's a great plan. Oh, and good on you, Russell, for helping out your neighbour. I think that's a really lovely thing to do as well. Let's go to Kath now in Dorican. Uh, Kath, hello. Now, you've got a bit hello. of a budgie slash dog issue. Yes, I have. <laughs> when my um, when my daughter comes to see me, she brings her little dog. He's a 10-month-old Cocker Spaniel poodle. 
and he wants to jump up at the cage of them, but then we we put him on his lead and make him sit, and he just sits there and cries. Yeah. So he's he's not enjoying the restraint. No. He's at not. that point, yeah. No. So listen, I mean, this is a training thing mostly. Um, no. You know, dogs are like children; they don't really want to be restrained. They want no. to have free run and and do what they want. Um, so the thing to do is to get the dog used to being on a leash and you're going to need to do that by rewards and distraction you're going to need to find something better than the budgies to keep the dog um, entertained and ideally you would take that budgie distraction out of the picture um, you know so that the budgies are not being frightened by the dog either um, but that the dogs doesn't have that as a reminder so you'd put the dog on the leash even if the budgies aren't around you might be able to cover up the budgies with a, yep. um, a blanket or towel during that time um, and then find some good little treats that you can do to get the dog used to just sitting calmly beside you and that might mean that um, you know just even if the dog's not being naughty particularly you're just going to yep. sit with the leash you know you might be sitting at the table having a cup of tea put the dog on a yep. leash and, and wait give him some little treats intermittent but reward the calm leash behavior Um, it takes it takes time it's mostly just a training issue there I think um, because you know it's pretty normal for a dog to want to have a bit of a look at a budgie but that's right yeah that's right so just persist reward the dog for being good and calm and not focusing on the budgies and then help the dog out by covering the budgies up or maybe moving them if they have a small cage move them to a different room for the time What's that temptation? If someone had to put a leash on me when Gav brought in that chocolate fondant, I would have cried as well. I mean, it's very difficult. All right, look, thank you for the call, Kath. We appreciate it. 49216216 is our number. We do have a free line. Uh, I guess, Kimberly, let, let's have a chat. Uh, I think it was yesterday that it that broke in the news that there was uh, a fatal dog disease that hasn't been around since the 70s or something yeah. in, in Australia. So, listen, I think it's probably always around, but in um, very low numbers. We know that in Sydney they had an outbreak of leptospirosis um, in the sort of inner city, like Surrey Hills, Glebe area, um, from about the end of... 2017 2018 into about 2020 and they had a number of dogs diagnosed and unfortunately most if not all of those dogs died from their disease um we know that people out west farmers and and people on properties have been vaccinating for this disease because it's it's in greater populations sort of out there or greater um, predominance Um, but we haven't had to worry about it too much Um, but it's a disease that is definitely around more when we have a lot of cool wet weather Um, we haven't had a very hot summer and we've had lots of rain Um, and this is a disease that it's a bacteria and it's carried by rats Um, there may be a few of our marsupial friends that will carry it as well it is not carried by mice so we didn't actually see an increase of it during the mouse plagues of the last sort of okay. two years. It's not carried by mice. They haven't found it in mice. But rats are the real culprit. And so if you have a dog who is then being exposed to... So the rats get this organism in their body um, and they pee it out. And they pee it out into water and all sorts of different, you know, things. And then the dog ingests. And then the dog. So particularly standing water. You know, if you've got a dog like my golden retriever who goes for every puddle she can find, if that mm. puddle's been there 
there for three weeks um, and a rat has happened to pee nearby, um, that is the that's the high risk sort of you know areas for it. Yeah. Is it specific only to dogs? Can cats get it as well? For example, cats don't seem to get it. No. Right. Um, they do talk about a few sort of dead end hosts, so humans can get it from your from the we as well, um, which most humans are going to get it from their dogs, not from the rats directly through through um, urine. If through it's on urine. our hands. Or yeah. Something, you know? Yeah. Through urine. So in in dogs, there's we talk about indirect versus direct contamination or or exposure. So your direct exposures um, are going to be through eating the rats, um, through bite wounds from the rats, and through the urine of the rats directly. So if okay. you have a dog like a little Jack Russell who who's a ratter and wants mm-hmm. to go after a rat, that dog's at really really high risk. Okay, so those are the direct um, levels of exposure or, or methods of exposure. The indirect methods is going to be through contaminated contact with contaminated items. So that's going to be um, food and water. So if you've got rats and they're getting into your food and the rats are weeing and pooping in their in your dog's food, yep. um, bedding um, and soil. And so if you happen to know that you've got rats around the property or you've seen rats, you know, every once in a while you see them running across the road and so things Cheryl, like that. So Cheryl, you have acreage, so you obviously yeah. would need to watch out for the rats on the property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, yeah. With I'm your constantly dogs. baiting for rats because mm-hmm. I've got ponds, I've got um, yeah, aves, okay. high risk area. Yeah, high risk. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they, they really are quite a problem. And the last two years, it's been, you know, growing in numbers. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been there for 35 years and certainly a lot more rats than ever before. I actually got a dog um, during that time in Sydney that um, the, the rats were really rampant as well. And I had Mystique um, immunised because mm-hmm. I didn't want to run the risk um, of her coming from Sydney um, with any problems. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let, let's have a talk about that. We've heard that yeah. there was an outbreak in Spears Point Park, mm-hmm. for example, Kimberly. How uh, vigilant do we need to be for unvaccinated? Because most of our dogs are unvaccinated yeah. at this point in time. Should My husband, for example, took uh, Gizzy to the park and I went, oh, no. Is, mm-hmm. Do we need to be that concerned or is so, that? Yeah, so I guess the thing is most of our dogs in this area who have who have grown up as puppies in this area will be unvaccinated. Um, I do see puppies where people bring them to me for their second vaccination and sometimes um, as part of their first vaccination they have had um, a leptospirosis vaccination. Okay. And that, those are they're usually coming from a little bit further west, um, but not always. Um, so... I guess in your case, Gizzy would have to come in contact. It's going to be one of those indirect contact methods. It's going and to for everyone that's been going to the new that's Spears right. yeah, Point yeah. Park, yeah. doggy park. So as unless well. they're actually finding, you know, the dead, the dead rats somewhere, um, they're going to. There, there's a risk that if the infected puppy has peed in a puddle, that they could, you know, go and splash through that puddle, get a bit of water, and and that that is a possibility. It, but they it, would have to ingest that. They'd have once to ingest again. that. Yeah. Okay. Um, assuming the puppy's only peed on the grass, then they might have to actually go to the area where that puppy has peed and have a good sniff and lick at it. It's not impossible for sure. It's definitely not impossible. I don't think everybody should be panicking about going there or your dog's been there and now it's going to be infected. But if that's an area that you regularly go and it's part of your, you know, you're and your dog's regular social um, structure and exercise and you've got friends there and you meet up on a regular basis, then it's definitely worthwhile considering vaccinating your dog. And I think when we've had the outbreak in Sydney, the specialists at the University of Sydney, um, they looked and they said, listen, we believe 
you know, they've looked at their epidemiological stuff and they say, we believe that um, dogs within a three kilometer radius of these cases should get vaccinated. And I I think that's a a reasonable, um, you know, sort of thing to say. I don't think every dog in the in the Newcastle and, and Lake Macquarie region needs to be vaccinated necessarily. But I think in those areas, you know, three kilometers, that's going to put you Warner's Bay uh, around Lake they, Macquarie at this Lake point Macquarie in time. area, yeah. Then I think that's a reasonable thing. That if you're out and about with your dog and you like to go, um, you know, to areas and your dog likes to have a good splash in a puddle, I definitely think it's worthwhile um, considering vaccination and have a discussion with your vet about it. Is your dog at high risk or low risk? But at yeah. this point in time, for example, if you're living at Cessnock, you don't mm-hmm. go to that area. You you probably, you know, I mean, we can never give a guarantee, but sure. you're less likely to have your dog affected by this at this point in time. True. There was um, a, one of our local veterinarians up around Earwing Thornton had a case um, 12 to 18 months ago. So it is around. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's one of those things that, you know, due to climate climatic conditions, it's probably going to be on the rise again. And so it's worthwhile having a think about it. Now, in my practice, when we had that first case up around Thornton, we had a discussion and went, are we going to bring the vaccine in? Do we think it's worthwhile? Um, and we sort of said, well, okay, one case does not an outbreak make. Um, but we have done it. We're close. We're in Edgeworth. And so we have done it this time. I've got vaccines coming in this week in our order um, because there's A, a lot of demand for it and B, um, you know, I think it's it's a little bit closer to home. Do we know mm. how many confirmed cases there have been in the region thus far? Two. So just the two. It's a notifiable disease. So as as a veterinarian, we're under um, a legal obligation to report the cases. Right. So it's not like there's a lot of cases that are being diagnosed going unreported. There may be lots of cases that aren't being tested for. It's not necessarily an easy disease to test for. So it's not like parvovirus where we can do a, an in-house test and get an answer back in 10 minutes. This disease, you have to send send blood and urine samples to an external lab and it's going to take them a few days to get it back. Um, and because the symptoms are so general and lots of dogs who potentially get it would maybe just have mild symptoms, not severe symptoms. So we might go, I mean, I've seen loads of cases of diarrhea over the last fortnight. I think the wet weather and things like that, we've had lots and lots of cases of of dogs that have been otherwise well, but had, you know, pretty extensive diarrhea, my own dog included. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't tested any of those dogs for leptospirosis. So um, if I had a dog with diarrhea next week, I might consider it, right? Um, So yeah, so I think a lot of the cases that will be mild potentially will get missed. The cases that are severe, we're going to, or where the dogs are, you know, unusually sick or they have a high fever and we don't have any other reason for it. We're going to be um, testing those a lot more vigilantly, I think now. So Kimberly, for people that have made the decision that they do want to get the vaccination, and I know that you've had uh, a lot of people calling and and asking (laughs) about it. uh, Can you tell us what we're looking at in terms of price for the vaccination? And is it an annual thing or... I, I have no idea about pricing because each individual veterinary hospital will have their own, um, you know, sort of pricing structure. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that it's a killed vaccination. There's only one licensed vaccine in Australia, um, registered vaccine, I should say, against leptospirosis. And it's only against one serovar. So we, you know, we talk about COVID strains and things like that. We talk in leptospira terms about serovars. Um, the vaccine, luckily, is the most common serovar. And certainly the majority of the dogs that were identified in the Sydney outbreak had this particular serovar. So, um, you know, we're hoping that we've got the right one. Um, But it's a killed vaccine. It's not a new sort of modified live type vaccine. And so it does definitely require two um, boosts or two 
injections. So uh, an initial injection and a booster vaccination um, two to four weeks later. And then to keep up the immunity, it's every year we're going to need boostering. Okay. So if you're, you know, this disease, whether this outbreak continues to be prolific or not, um, you know, people who are who are looking at that, we're going to have to look at boostering into the future, just like we do with the flu. Okay, um, not that this vaccine is not that this sorry disease is changing that much, but it's just we don't get very great protection from it. Okay, um, and so yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. I think you're going to have to have a discussion with your local veterinarian. Um, we literally were scrambling yesterday, not to get a hold of it, but just to like make sure we had things in place to to get it into the building. Well, and I think stuff you've like you know, I think you've clarified. Uh, mm. some things and, and at this point you know we're only talking two confirmed mm-hmm. cases as you said there, there's probably more in the community yep. we don't know about yep. uh, but it's good just to be aware of it to keep an eye on mm-hmm. it uh, the other question I'd have is we know that it's zoonotic where we yes. can get it from our uh, dog that's right C- can human pass it on to another human no, I don't believe so. So, okay. yeah, so the reason it's a notifiable disease that we're under a legal obligation to report it if we diagnose it is because it is a zoonotic disease, which right. means that your dog who's sick with it can give it to me or to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we have cases in hospital that we are suspicious of, we manage them very carefully with gloves and masks and eye protection. Even before COVID, we're all wearing masks anyway at the moment in in hospital. But um, even before COVID, we would have done, you know, gowns and masks and gloves and eye protection so we don't um, come in contact with it and we um, would ex- you know we would want people to be cautious about it as well and so you know I think from from here on moving forward if you do have a dog that's unwell that's got vomiting and diarrhea and, and particularly if they're sick you know if you get a bit of diarrhea and your dog's still bouncing around like a complete yeah. pork chop that's one thing but if you've got a dog who's sick it's maybe not the time to wait three or four days to get them in it's probably better off you know for your own protection as well as the dog's protection getting them in early um, I don't believe that there's any human-to-human transmission. You actually have to come in contact with the infected urine because the um, the leptospira organisms likes to go. It likes to go into the kidneys, and from there the bacteria multiplies and it gets shed out in the urine. And so you'll have to come in contact with infected urine. And so okay. unless you're playing with somebody else's urine. Um, you're not going to come in contact with it that way. Well, thank you. I think that's really uh, Mm. put a bit. Mm. Anything that you're still wondering, Cheryl, because I know you're on top of this as well? I just think we need to be vigilant and Mm -hmm. and making sure that if your pet is unwell to quickly get off to see the veterinarian. Yeah, and unfortunately there's no really classic hallmark signs for Mm. this disease, right? So it's not like you can say, ooh, it's got a a pimple here and a red spot there. Um, It's it's really generalised symptoms. Fever, um, hemorrhaging or bleeding, bruising, anything like that. I would hope that would always trigger a visit to the vet. Um, But, you know, we need to just be very, um, it's generalised symptoms. So high index of suspicion if you can't think of what might have made your dog sick. Okay, well, thank you. And hopefully that's answered a lot of questions. I have had a lot of people email me about this during the week. Uh, Kimberly, you have been giving us a rundown on leptospirosis. (laughs) Do you want to know the full name? Yes. Leptospirosis interrogans serovar Copenhageni. And that's just this serovar. Oh. So there's over 300 different serovars that we know of, but this is the one that we're concerned about and vaccinating against. Who makes up these names? <laughs> that's impressive that you can the, just the, say The Copenhagen so eye comes because I think it was a first originated in um, or identified in Copenhagen yes. in the Netherlands. This is a global disease, by the way. Like it's all around the world. So we're not that special. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, look, uh, we're going to go to our dog of the week right now, and I'm introducing you to Bonnie. Now, Bonnie is a beautiful black eight-year-old Labrador cross German shepherd. She looks like a healthy girl, doesn't she? She yes. Does. She looks like she likes her food a little chunky, bit. Chunky, a little bit chunky. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does In love relaxing. Way. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's gorgeous. She <laughs> loves relaxing near her humans and she does love going for walks as well. Very balanced. Uh, Bonnie is a total sweetheart who will show you how excited she is to see you. Um, and she's just beautiful. Oh, she howls with delight <laughs> when you come home, apparently. Uh, when she came into care, she was separated from her long-term doggy pal, but she adjusted really quickly to the new home. And after a few weeks, is happy to be either Big Spoon or Little Spoon of a nighttime with her senior fur foster brothers. That's always very good when um, you know that a dog can interact well with with other dogs. It is. It's really good. It makes them more um, more adoptable too because they can go into multiple different situations. And they've actually mm. made the comment that she, her foster carers at the moment, she's very gentle with him um, and has met a lot of dogs. There's never been an issue. She also loves people. And despite being good with dogs, she would also be very happy just start soaking up all the love on her own so look it's not a must if you don't have another fur baby uh, that's okay as well um, if she is with another dog one with a similar temperament would suit her best she loves to walk and can certainly keep up but um, she can be found crashed out uh, she, at the rest of the day potato. yes yeah, so she's, she's a one walk a day sort of girl i you, think you don't want her with a kelpie <laughs> That's, that's well, she sure. is eight years of age. She's eight years of age, that's yeah. right. Yeah. She's, she likes her stroll and yeah. then she's happy to relax for the rest of the day. Sounds nice. It does sound nice. She's toilet trained, she sits, she waits for a dinner, she walks well on the lead. Uh, she's not particularly interested in toys. She sounds like she's undergone a lot of that training, obviously being eight, so she really does sound perfect for you mm. know an, an older couple or a, a family that don't have a dog that might yeah. like a, yeah. a dog. So please check her out. Uh, she is on our website, too, when you are rfm.com.au you can go to dog of the week uh, and she is there and just a reminder as well speaking to sue barker uh, earlier this week from dog rescue newcastle if you are in a position where you can help out fostering uh, they really need people who can take on any dogs or cats that must be the hardest thing i think when they're just struggling to find people to mind them yeah there's always more dogs and more cats than there are people in homes for them unfortunately mm, so yeah. definitely yeah. now look we are uh, Getting towards the end of the show, Kimberly, you have been uh, giving us a lot of mm-hmm. information, which is great, on the, the, the dog disease that we heard yeah. about uh, yesterday that has sort of hit the Spears Point area. Yeah. Um, I asked you before, uh, costing, and I know yeah. you can't give specific, but sure. is this going to be like hundreds of dollars? No, it's not. No. So, okay. yeah, I mean, it's the vaccine is not new. The vaccine's been around for a long, long, long time. Um, it's not particularly expensive. Most vet hospitals, it's a prescription drug, so most vet hospitals you'll be required to have a consultation with a veterinarian, so there'll be a consultation fee yep. and then the vaccine. Oh, good. Um, okay. But in our hospital, um, when I was looking at it last night, it's probably going to be similar to a canine cough, kennel cough vaccination. So oh, we're not great. talking, it's not going to break anybody's bank here. It's just because our dogs are largely um, immune, not immune to it, uh, naive to it, they haven't had it, they're going to require that booster shot. So you're going to be you know getting a bit friendly with your vet hospital for the next couple of weeks you know <laughs> yeah. so yeah it'll be one now one in a month and then annually thereafter 
Okay, and that's not too bad and very good to know that it's quite affordable because I think a lot of people might have been going, oh, I just, yeah, yeah on the fence Yeah, because it sounds new, but it, the actual vaccination has been around for a long time, so it's not, you know, not new technology. They're not rushing anything to market. Okay, yeah. there <laughs> yeah. you go. Well, so, look, that is the end of Pet Chat. Cheryl, I'm sorry we didn't get to your topic today. Oh, that's fine. We needed to talk about this because it's in the news and people are aware now what um, what they can do to help their dog. Yes, yeah, definitely. Well, will you come back next week or is it? No, You're it's Danny off. next week. I'm I off. thought it might have been. We'll get to see Danny. Well, we'll chat to you in a fortnight. And we'll Kimberly, do. I never know when you're back. I'm back on the, I think, 11th of May. Beautiful. Well, we can't wait. Pet Chat does return, though, next week, of course. And you can email. Uh, a lot of you have been doing that more and more. I guess it's very convenient and always happy to take an email. You can do that at 2nurfm.com.au. If you click on Pet Chat, there's some beautiful pictures up there. would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.